I can't tell you how relieved I was. Somebody was standing over there so I wouldn't wobble coming up the stairs. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you. And um, what an honor to be dwell in your house. And I consider it an honor to be in front of you. Uh, it is true. When the Lord introduced us, he introduced us to you as well. And um, it's been remarkable. I, I was telling Tammy last night, I just love to come here. You're one of the best hidden secrets around. And I know you don't take that pridefully because you take seriously serving and loving the Father and serving and loving people and serving and loving this community. So I am just honored to be here. And I, I just thought last night, what, what a perfect message and profound message it was. In fact, I kind of jotted some things down that, just some one-liners, and I know there were three areas, and she's going to not like me for this, because I know one, he's with me in the wilderness. I really got that one. What were the other two? He's, you're loved. Oh, well, I got that one too. Okay. And what? He's well, okay, he's well seen. Yes. Well, I wrote down four of them, and I had two of them out of the four, so, or the three she just gave us. So I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. I, I find it, sometimes I have to think about it and digest it a little bit. And I want you to just close your eyes and take in one of these sentences that she said last night. There's no greater power than the love of God. Just take that in. God takes delight in me being his daughter. Take that in. Just close your eyes and just take that in. You are the daughter I love with the pride of a father. That's a really powerful one because some of what I'm going to teach in the next session is that our first attachments come at the first 18 months. And those attachments help form our identity. And the truth of how that happens is that the mother holds the baby and the father lovingly looks on. The child takes that in as attachment. So think about that. You are the daughter I love with the pride of a father. And you go, well, I didn't get that. I didn't get that when I was young. I didn't either. But the Lord restores it to us. And he allows it to happen through some very practical things that we can do to enlarge our capacity to be able to receive from the Father. So we're never left out. So anytime I'm saying some of these things, you might be like, I've kind of had a rough life. We all, we all have had, some of us have had rougher than others. There's, there, there's, that's the truth. But at the same time, he is our redeemer, and he redeems all those places I loved last night when Gary said, I'm from this, but I'm not that. I just spoke to a young man in our congregation and, that we're attending, and he started to tell me his story, and his story was unbelievable. He had raised, been raised by his grandparents and uh, didn't say anything about his mom and dad. He was new. I didn't know him well. And... As we talked, he said, um, 
Yeah, on Father's Day, I went to downtown Dallas and gave my homeless dad a Father's Day card. I pushed it through the tent. And I wanted him to know I cared about him. I went, wow. I said, what about your mom? And he said, um, well, my mom is away, and it's kind of hard to get to her. But he said, you know, I found out, and he's a hairdresser. He said, and I found out that my m mother's mother was a hairdresser. And I guess there is a mirror to be given to me, and I'm going to cherish it and put it on the wall. When you hear every, we all have a story, and when we hear it, it's like, wow. When I heard his story, I went, God has been good to him. He has really thrived in the midst of very difficult things. So, so he meets us where we are. So the last one is, I love this one. We trace his steps until they become our own. Wow. Even and maybe mainly in suffering. So how do we live out a Christ-given identity and fulfill our purpose in life. Last night, we learned it is not by works. We can't do anything to earn it. But how do we practically live that out? You see, I was raised in the Foursquare Church my whole life. And I loved the Lord, and I loved church. I loved it. It was my safe place. I could trust that being there. Uh, it was amazing. There was a lot of love. But in my town, it wasn't quite as small a town as this. It was Sterling, Colorado. It wasn't quite as small as this one. But there were 12,000 people. But you see, everyone knew my dad. And he was known as the town runaround. So, I kind of did what Tammy did. I'll have to work harder to prove I'm okay. And so I became very involved with church and music. And that became my life. And so... When I was older, and I went, hmm, I've missed something. And when I got the true healing and identity that the Lord wanted me to have, I went, I've lived 48 years waiting for this. Another testimony that we don't necessarily arrive when we're 20. Keep hanging on. Keep hanging on. Because it gets better. And I got news for you. I'm, I'm really pretty old. Old as dirt, to be quite honest. <laughs> And you're st I'm still doing it. I mean, identity is something I had to think about today. Okay, I'm going to get up there, and I'm going to look a little fat. And, oh, and then I had to put this mic on, and I couldn't sit down over here, because if I sat down, it would come off, and then everybody would see me put it on. So we all have these crazy things we go through, and some of them don't change. You just get to take them to Jesus all the time. I don't know. So... With that, I'm going to try to do our PowerPoint. I did do a PowerPoint. We'll see how well it goes. So, oh, I don't know where it is. I have to, oh, I went the wrong way. I'm talking about that this afternoon. There's our little dog, though, by the way. And our cat. Notice I mentioned the dog first. I love him more. Um, <laughs> Winston is a character. He has a bad eye this morning. I think he got, I don't know. And last week, $900 on him because he was sick. So please pray for us, because we're, I mean, it's not good. Okay, so let me go to this. Why, am I, why is this not working? Oh, I'm going backwards. Ah! <laughs> I'm giving you this later. Oh, my goodness. Neither one of them are working. 
Huh, oh, did you do that or did I? <laughs> I try to be so smooth and I'm just not. I don't know what to say. Anyway, there's our translation, our, there's our, your, your theme scripture. You are God's chosen treasure, set apart as God's devoted one. You are his own. And God, now I still don't remember which one I did. I'm sorry, guys. Look at this. I should have brought my clicker. (laughs) All right, I think I have it now. There we go. We have kingdom thinking. Kingdom thinking is God's thinking. It's of the heavenly realm. It's not earthly thinking. So in him, that means we have everything, everything accessible to us. Every treasure there is, every treasure there is, is in him. What does that mean to you? What do you want in a treasure that you don't have? He is all of that. We're loved and we're accepted and we belong. We have no needs. Jesus is our source for everything. We are secure and safe with our Father. We have peace. We have joy. We get to be and not do. Last night, we don't perform. We don't need to perform. We're fine just the way we are. We don't have to try to be someone else and more, and you could add to that list. It's so long we could be here all afternoon talking about the goodness of the Lord to us. And yet, it would be individual to each one of us, certain things. But, okay, now we'll try this. Oftentimes, we live in cosmos thinking, which is earthly thinking. And this is where we tend to, because we're on the earth, we tend to let these thoughts and these things come in because of how we think and because of what's happened to us. So I'm just going to put this in right here, and we'll talk more about this this afternoon. When we become wounded, we create a lie. And so when we have a lie, then we make a vow to protect ourselves. And when we make a vow, then it becomes a stronghold. So. It really starts with when we receive a wound. The lie is what we have to change for our identity. Because starting right there, if we give room to that lie, and how do you know if it's a lie? You go, well, it makes sense, because if I've been told I'm no good, then I believe I'm no good when I'm young. But that that isn't kingdom thinking. It's cosmos thinking. Because we go by what God says, who God says we are, not by who the earth says we are. However, when we create that lie, well, if I'm told I'm bad, then I must believe I'm bad, and so then I'm going to protect myself, so I'm going to isolate and not be in a group of women. I've been so many times, and you guys don't display this at all, but I've had women come to me and say, I don't come to women's gatherings because I just feel so rejected, and that makes me sad. But then, when we go to the gathering, could I tell you where they're sitting? in the back behind a petition and can hardly, no one can see them, 
because rejection has set in in them as a result of a lie that they're not worthy to be somewhere. And so then it becomes a stronghold and pretty soon you're not even coming to any gatherings. So that's the way wounds work. If you can understand that piece, then you can really begin to understand how you kind of dissect it to uh, get healing. So lies have a lot to do with our identity. So when we're lying to ourselves, we, uh, all those things we just talked about with uh, kingdom thinking now becomes cosmos thinking. We're not loved and we're not accepted. We don't belong anywhere. We must meet all of our needs and um, we are never, ever good enough. Now, I have to tell you a little funny joke. I said to my daughter, I feel pretty old to go to these, these, I have two big retreats, this one and another one in about a week and a half. And I said, gee, I'm just kind of old. I'm going back to the one in California with Tammy, you'll appreciate this. It's back at the church where we were. It's full circle stuff. And so anyway, I went, I'm going to look so much older because I have, I mean, it's like 15 years since I'm there. Jody says, I can take care of you, Mom. We'll just take you in. We'll get you some false eyelashes. We'll just kind of do some filler. I've noticed your lips are getting a little smaller. Thank you, Jody. And she said, we'll make you look really good. And I laughed. We laughed. I didn't do any of it. You maybe thought I did. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I did none of it. And we laughed, and I went, there you go. I, at 75, still can feel insecure. Okay, I'm probably going to feel that way till I go home be with Jesus. But the point is, we grow in it, and we had a good laugh about it. But the, the truth of the matter is, we never measure up to the person next to us. We never do. Because there's always someone better. And that is, by the way, another wound. It's called comparison. It's another wound. So, anyway, so we, we ha don't have all our needs met. We're not good enough. We don't feel secure. We're anxious and depressed and fearful. And we have a lot of baggage, by the way. We carry it along with us. And we must perform more to prove we are loved and okay by others. And your list and my list goes on. And what's really interesting is, because we live on this earth, we tend to want to go to the lottery. If, how many have you ever had this conversation? Let's go buy a ticket, because it's mega millions tonight. And if we just won, this is husband and wife or friends or whatever, or workers, I guess work companions do it too, we'll be rich, and you know what? If the Lord lets us win, we'll give a lot to missions. And we'll help build the new church, we'll build a new church, and we'll even help with the homeless. We start rationalizing what we can do to make it be okay so we can be effective. When all along, riches far greater than any mega million is ours at our fingertips. Publisher's Clearinghouse is another one. I've never gotten into that one. I never got into lottery. I've never bought a lottery ticket, by the way, I'll just tell you. But I've been tempted. 
Because you think, well, if, if someone was that lucky one, then I might be that lucky one out of like 15 billion, you know? And yet the Lord offers it to all of us and we don't accept it. It's kind of crazy thinking. So that's earthly thinking. So we have a ticket to the kingdom. And I want you to think about that. If you could go and pick anything or everything you want from his kingdom, and it was made ready to you and you could do it, what would you go get? What would you go get? What would you have open hands to receive from him? Because he's more ready to give than you are to receive. And so with that, one of the ways we process the Lord is by our body is the canvas of our brain. So when we breathe, we calms our autonomic nervous system or our vega nerve, which goes clear through our whole body, and it calms us so that our brain can take in what we're hearing. When you get anxious, if you will do this, it will calm you and it will take you out of that anxiousness because it's distraction, but it's also connection. So I want you to close your eyes for just a minute and I want you to breathe. And I want you to think about the love of God. What stood out to you last night? Just think about that. And when you do, breathe it in. And then expel the air through your lips. Do it a couple more times. Maybe when you inhale, go, thank you, Lord, for loving me. When you blow out, say, I, I receive your love. Okay, so you're God's chosen. What does that mean? It means that you're selected as the very best. You go, well, how can that be? We're all the very best then. Mm -hmm. That's right. You're all the very best. Our mind can't really take that in. But then the next one is, he also treasure, the definition of that is the wealth. He has endless wealth stored up for you. Okay, if he has endless wealth stored up to you, for you, and you are the best, then you must be really special. And when you hear that, I can kind of feel it like go, well, that doesn't mean me. That doesn't mean me. I'm not special. I'm not special. I've grown up here. I've lived my life. I haven't done much. I've not, I'm not successful like other people, comparison. And I don't know how many of you, I want to tell you this story because I think it's so apropos. How many of you remember Max Lucado's book, You Are Special? You remember that? How many remember that book? If you, well, not very many. See, I'm old. I'm old. But the story goes like this, and I want you to think about you, okay? 
In a village, there lived small wooden people called Wemmicks, kind of like human beings, created by Eli, kind of like God. Eli carves each and every wooden person, uniquely allowing them all to look different and to possess varying traits and personalities. All day, the Wemmicks literally walk around about giving each other a gold star or a gray dot. I got to get to this next one. If I there you go. So they go around giving themselves a gray, a gold star or a gray dot. The gold stars are awarded to the best looking and the most talented individuals, while the gray dots are given to the ones whose looks deemed unworthy and whose talents are seen lacking in merit. The qualities the Wemmicks used to assess if a person deserved a gold star was based on being pretty, having smooth wood and fine paint, bright colors, being talented, being able to lift things, jumping high and knowing big words, and singing songs or had talent. Or maybe they were on the worship team. <laughs> the gold stars, in fact, are handed out to people who don't have gray dots simply to award them for being better, so they even get more. While the gray dots are given to anyone with no stars to remind them of what they lack. Imagine wearing the thoughts, feelings, and judgments. Imagine wearing the thoughts, feelings, and judgments outwardly. A sweet Wemmick named Punchinello always tries his best to receive gold stars from the other Wemmicks but no matter what he does or how much he's tried to be cool and acceptable, he only receives gray dots for not doing very well. He would try to be like the talented Wemmicks and jump high, but would end up getting scratched and getting him even more gray dots because he failed at what he tried. He got so many gray dots that people gave him more gray dots just for having so many. One day, Punchinello, can we call him Punchy, for short, meets a Wemmick named Lucia, who doesn't have any gold stars or gray dots, and doesn't want any, because they simply don't stick to her. She explains that the reason is because she goes to visit their maker, Eli, and sits in his workshop every day with him. Punchy doesn't want any stickers on him either, so Lucia tells him, why don't you go visit Eli? So Punchy meets Eli. He is, when he does, he's surprised to learn that Eli knows him by name and embarrassed to come before him wearing all those gray dots. Shame. You've heard shame mentioned last night during worship. And it is what the Lord impressed on me today is that shame says I'm bad for who I am. Guilt says I'm bad for what I've done. Are we all guilty? Are we all guilty? But we're not bad for who we are. So to Punchy's astonishment, Eli does not care about the dots that cover his wooden body. And Eli tells Punchy that it does not matter that the other Wemmicks think of him at all, but all that matters is what Eli thinks of him, and that Eli happens to think Punchy is pretty special. 
Immediately, Punchy lists a thousand reasons as to why he is not special. His paint is peeling. He has no talents. He can't walk fast or jump. But Eli tells Punchy he is, a spe he is special because he is Eli's. His exact words, in fact, you are said, you are mine. Eli tells Punchy that he had been hoping that he would come make his way to the workshop. Punchy then asks Eli, why is it that the stickers don't stick to Lucia? Eli replies, here we go. She has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick to them if you let them. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. The more you trust my love, the less you'll think about the stickers. Punchy realizes that he matters to Eli because Eli made him and he wasn't a mistake. He doesn't completely understand, but when he begins to understand, a gray dot falls to the ground. And in the end, showing that the opinions of other Wemmicks only stick to Punchy if he cares about what they think. Beautiful story. Great book to read to your little ones if you haven't read that. By the way, it's by Max Lucado. So. So, you go, okay, they're not supposed to stick. But I live in a world where comparison goes on all the time. I had a secretary that worked with me, an assistant, in the high desert in California, and um, she was a delight. She would come in, and she just, she was always just cute as a button, but, you know, she was just loved, she just loved life, and she would say, life is just wonderful, I'm a princess. I'd think, I don't feel today like a princess, but... And she would tell me all the time, I'm a princess. And she had been told by her father all of her growing up years that she was a princess. So as a princess, she was, she was secure in who she was. She still is today, and she's a great gal, and she leads people into understanding that they are people to be uh, honored by the Lord. And so, but for me, I had to think about it. I didn't think of myself as a princess. I thought I had to, I thought of really a laborer that had to work pretty hard to make life work. And yet I loved the Lord with all my heart and I knew he was real and I knew he was awesome and I would feel his presence, but there were times I couldn't fully embrace what he had for me. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We talk about the word special. How many think about, I think of this often, how many had an, uh, a relative that had a special recipe? You love that special recipe. When my mom passed, my daughter said to me, because my mom was a cook, she managed restaurants, and she made up all kinds of recipes. And she came to me and she said, Mom, did we get all of Grandma's recipes? And we had gotten most of them. But what was special about the recipes? It wasn't the recipe, really. It was the relationship with her. It brought back good memories. It brought back happy moments. It wasn't just the recipe. Because, you know, today you can get those old ones on Facebook. It'll come up, the old recipes. And invariably, the next one is better than the one that was years old. Because special like that doesn't stick. We can, but it's relationship is where it sticks. So, I have no idea where I am here. I'm really... This just doesn't work. Okay. 
I'm going to let it be. Okay, and when we need it, I'll try to get there. Okay, so special. Do you remember Incredibles 2 when mom is telling the boys in the car how special they are? And one of them pipes up and says, well, if everybody's special, then nobody is. See, oftentimes we think that way. We really do. And yet, we are special. And so why are we special? I want to take us to um, the scripture, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. I'm going to try to get there because it's so important. There. Oh, you're doing it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm giving up on that. Okay, so here, let's read it. Let's take it in. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and ready to be used for good works which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, taking paths which he set, so that we would walk in them, living the good life in which he prearranged and made ready for us. It's a lot in that scripture. Amplified is wordy, but I wanted it to be there because I think it carries impact. So, it is by what? Grace. Grace just is. If I were to take my phone and accidentally drop it and go, no, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, what's it going to do? Because it's a law of gravity. It's the same with grace. It is a law. It, isn't go, it, it doesn't go like this. Well, grace is for some. Grace is not for me. Well, grace is for you. But I can't apply it to me here. Grace is what it is. It is relational. It is practical. And it is what we live by. And when you can fully embrace grace then you've fully embraced loving the Father because of his goodness. What's interesting about grace is that it is always present for you. You don't earn it. You don't come to church five times a week and have an extra measure. It is there. It is for you. So, Charis, which is the next slide, I believe, thank you, is um, the Greek word for grace. It doesn't just mean undeserved favor. It means you're God's favorite, and it means that he loves being with you. Because you see, when you accepted him, you received the gift of grace, which is relational, which I just said. Now, what was the culture of the day was back then when they would give a gift, they would give it with the idea, don't take this gift unless you plan on having a relationship with me. That's the way gift giving was done. 
And, you know, even think about gifts today. You know, you have 10 birthday parties and you have to buy $50 gifts, whatever. I, I don't know. There's a, gifts. They don't mean what they did back then. It meant relationship. It's the same today. God's grace is unconditional. God's grace is yours. You cannot talk your way out of it. And he's glad to be with you and you're special. But he wants to be with you every day. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to see him with you. He knows where you are. And he wants you to be able to see him there too. Next hour, we're going to talk about how do you do that and be able to renew your mind and see him and let him lead and guide and speak. You know, it's wonderful to come and hear great speakers. But the whole truth of the matter is, God wants to speak to you. He has golden nuggets to give you. And let me tell you, when, I, when we work together, we'll see it happen today. You're going to come up with things that you're going to be, it's going to be like a story. We'll be weeping because of the way God put it in you to share his love and grace. That's who you are. That's who you are. Nothing can change that. And the only thing that can change it is that you don't accept it. And that's a process. Absolutely a process. So he sees you. He sees you as if you've never sinned. Okay. Uh, all right. There's, now I think we're at the... Just quickly go through this. Oh, I'm doing on time. How am I doing on time? 15 minutes? Yeah. Okay. Um, these are the things that I think the Lord... Their signature of grace is relationship. So now the next one, please. Okay, he sees me as if I never sinned. Let's do that. When we do this together, it's a tuning together. You go, what, and what are we doing? I will explain it more later. But you are renewing your mind. And when we do it together, there is power in doing it together. So I want you to close your eyes. And when you inhale, I want you to say, Jesus sees me. And when you blow out, like you're blowing out a candle, as if I never sinned. Do it again. I invite you to do that. Take an inhale. Jesus sees me. When you exhale, as if I never sinned. Okay, so if we're going to grow in this grace and we've accepted that, that it is a gift, it is a law in my life, then what are the qualities I'm going to see? Here's what he does ask us to do in, in embracing it. So first of all, we have personal salvation, which is Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. He asks us for personal growth. We've got to be growing in him. If we're linked into him, and we're attached to the vine, and, he's, uh, and we're there, we're the branches and he's the vine, then we're going to grow, okay? So in view of all this, make every effort, is 2 Peter 1, 5 to 9, to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control 
and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection. It's a lot to take in. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. We're called to personal growth. You know, years ago, I just thought of this. There was an email that was going around years ago that said somebody had died and gone to heaven, and there was a room where all these cabinets were with drawers to be pulled out. And the person said, what is that? And the Lord said, these were gifts I wanted to give, children, give my children, but they never received them. Wow. Personal growth. Personal discipleship. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds, not performance. You know, Jesus invites us into partnership with him. He doesn't tell us what to do. He loves us, and he wants us, wants us to be, embrace him and, and in partnership work with him. It's different than performance. Okay, and the Lord invites us into mending, equipping, and perfecting. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, talked about this last night. The God of all grace, who imparts all blessing and favor, who has called you to his own eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself complete and make you what you ought to be. Established and ground, establish and ground you securely and strengthening and settle you. Suffering accomplishes a lot in our lives when we're in it with him. It's not fun, but it's part of the journey. It's part of the journey. So he calls us to a deeper relationship today. And in the course of that, what are the practical things that help us in that relationship grow? And you, I believe you have every one of them in this in this congregation, in this group, in this gathering. You have a place to belong. I want that, if, yeah, you have a place to belong. If you don't have those places, and then it's the, you're seeing the comparison between love and death, you have a painful existence if you're isolated and alone because we're built for relationship. So he gives you a place to belong. You're, you have that here. We're to receive and give life. What does that mean? Well, it's been said to me that you should have three people above you that speak into your life. 
At this point, the ones in their 80s are kind of dying off, so I don't know who's going to be speaking into <laughs> There's younger people could speak into our life too because they're more mature. And then there's supposed to be three people you're giving life away to. Think about it. We've got to give and we've got to receive. So there's always someone that you're giving life to just as you're receiving life. Huge peace. I think we're going to see some of that even this afternoon. It's important that you're giving life somewhere. And you say, say well, I don't have anything to offer. Yes, you do. You have the amazing Papa, Daddy, Abba, Father that loves you and dwells in you and speaks to you and through you. Again, by grace. It is what it is. Recover from trauma. That's a big one. We talked about suffering and all of that. We've talked about, there's, there's an easy way to remember wounding. It's type A, type B, and type C traumas. Type A is the absence of good things. I didn't get a lot of that when I was young. Some of you didn't either. Maybe a lot of you didn't. You don't think the enemy doesn't want you to get it? He doesn't want you to get it. Type B traumas are when bad things happen to you. How many have had a few of those? And then type C is the comparison, where we are either compared to by people around us, teachers, parents, or we compare ourselves. It's, it ends up being a wound because, remember, it's by grace. It's by grace, and we're all, we're all saved by grace. And it's relational and ongoing. And so, as I'm concluding now, I want to you'll put the piano picture up. Worship team, you can kind of get ready to. A month ago, I was with my daughter in Portland. We were visiting. We hadn't been up there for a long time. She'd moved into a new home. And years ago, uh, I'd always made it a point. I had two children, and because we were musical, we always said, we're going to make sure our kids have pianos. And uh, so her husband and I kind of put our heads together, and we decided to um, get her a piano. So I went on a hunt for a, a grand piano in the Portland area. I don't even remember, because it was about 2007 or six, maybe, when we bought it. But I found this piano that was being sold, that was signed. That's why, I think of the song today about you're signed in the palm of your hand. I'm always amazed how God does this. Only God could do this. This piano was signed by this very, very well-known pianist in the Portland area. He's still there. He plays, and they have people go to his concerts all the time. I don't know him. I've never, I don't know him. I've never been there. But I will tell you, I knew it was a good piano, and it was a good price. And so um, we purchased the piano. Well, Jody put it in storage, and they moved and sold homes, and she just got it back in. And so last August, I'm going up there, and I'm sitting at the piano, and I'm playing, and I'm going... It was like revelation, women. It was unbelievable what God just did, and I think it was for you today. I'm sitting there playing the piano, and I touch the bass, and the resonance of the bass flooded my soul. And I started playing, and I went, well, we have a piano at home, but it doesn't, it doesn't move me like this one. And so... I stood up, and when I looked into the piano, there was his signature. But it said, I thought, this is, I've had a lot of Yamaha pianos in my lifetime. And this is a Yamaha. 
And I looked at it and it said a C3. I didn't even know what a C3 was. When I looked it up, it was a conservatory grant. And when I read it, the C3 is one of the world's most widely celebrated grand pianos. It has been universally acclaimed for decades as a wonderful marriage of sound engineering, stable and consistent manufacturing, and remarkable attention to musical detail. Here's what happened to me. I was there for about seven days. Every morning I got up and I was drawn to the piano. And I started playing. And then John would come in and he would sit and worship. And then Jody would come in and she's a vocalist. And she would sit and worship. And as we did it, it was like the music that was coming forth was like from the Heavenly Father. And so what I realized was as I sat there, I started out by just noticing the bass. And then I started adding in. And then songs came to me that we had not done in 20 years that I would accompany people on. I'm astounded at this flood of what's going on and I'm realizing I'm accessing some of this piano that is so incredibly beautiful, just like our Heavenly Father. And I'm accessing music from this piano that could come from no other way than from as we would walk with the Lord and the Father. So I want to demonstrate to you the way I feel like this happens for us. I'm not a great pianist, by the way. I do okay. But I, anyway, that's not my point. My point is what we're going to, I'm going to show you. There's a seed of DNA planted in you. That DNA is there for you to grow. How do you do it? You grow it through submission. You grow it through humbleness. When you are humble... With the Lord, you'll have confidence. When you're in your flesh, you'll either feel inadequate or conceited. Think about it. All I know is I had a holy experience at that piano that changed my life because I realized that I had been, and years before I played this piano and never noticed it, but he was doing a fresh thing in me as I was opening myself to what he was inviting me to through this piano. I want you to see, this is the seed. It can go like this. What does that sound like? It sounds like my first or second grade students when I used to teach piano. that too okay then they got a little better accessing more of the Lord sensitive now 
want you to close your eyes. And I want you to put your hands across your chest. And I'm going to play it as if I was listening to the Father. Could you sing it to yourself? Jesus loves us. It's the most profound thing we'll ever learn. Just take it in again. Maybe you want to sing it just for yourself. within us. Would you stand with me as the worship teams leads? This is the
it's his heir. Yahweh. This is the with newness of who you are today. We want to grow in you. We thank you that you give us identity. You give us your identity as we can embrace it. And then, Lord, you've given us gifts that are within each one of us. And so, Lord, we just offer ourselves to you to do work. But most of all, that it would be done through relationship with you. 
And I pray these things in your name.